you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I don't get it. Podcast. Hello, guys. Welcome to the I Don't Get It podcast. Today's episode is about near-death experiences, and it's inspired by the new Netflix mini docuseries called Surviving Death. We are going to be having a guest who was on the show and, and shared her crazy story where she actually died on the operating room table while having a C-section. Uh, Lauren and Naz haven't seen this, so it's going to be a surprise for them. Um, I just have been always mind boggled and like thought that near death experiences and people who have said that they've seen the light, the comforting, peaceful feeling that they never wanted to go back into their real Mm -hmm. body for just find them so fascinating. And just like our Monica, the medium podcast makes me feel so great about their, the existence of an afterlife. I refuse to believe any scientist that says, oh, it's just a rush of endorphins. No, that is God. That is heaven. That is your loved one. I I don't believe it. I agree. Yeah. After (laughs) Monica the Medium, I was like 100% there's an afterlife. And even like going through all the emotions I've been going through recently with like heartbreak and just overwhelming distress and all this stuff. I'm like, I really need to read Monica's book Mm -hmm. because I really want to read more on soul contracts and like. I'm like, damn, did I just, like, sign a contract that was, like, I'm going to get my heart broken every fucking day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I forgot so about what a soul contract was. I need to read that soul contract just to put my current status into perspective. But yeah. when it comes to near-death experiences, yes, I agree with both of you. I'm so fascinated. I totally believe in them. Did you guys ever watch the OA on Netflix, Lauren? I feel yes. like I, told, I would tell you to watch it. Uh, yeah. yeah, I watched it. So good. One of my favorite shows i've ever seen thank you now for the recommendation same so guys the oa there's only two seasons netflix canceled it after the second season which i was so upset about it's such a weird crazy unique um unpredictable show which is like the one thing i want in a show is unpredictability Mm -hmm. but it is about people that have near-death experiences and it's fascinating it's funny that they call them near-death experiences because all these people technically died their heart stopped beating they stopped breathing um but and then they came back right, right? so yeah, it's kind of like i said before i died and i came back yeah dead, you know what i thought about before we record were started recording this hmm. what i was like getting heartbroken is a near-death experience <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fun. Well, our guest <laughs> Stephanie Arnold may not agree with that, but uh, let's get her on the line right now. All right, we got Stephanie on the line. Stephanie, hello. Thank you for joining us. 
Thanks for having me. All right. So you talk about your near-death experience or what we like on the podcast like to call your death experience because you did technically die. Um, start from the very beginning because I know with you it started with random premonitions or was there something that sparked the premonitions? No, they were detailed premonitions. I, I was pregnant with our second child and during the 20-week ultrasound, I was diagnosed with a placenta previa, which is basically when the placenta is growing on top of the cervix. And it's basically a one in 200 risk. The worst case scenario, as the belly grows, you might need a C-section. But I wasn't afraid of that. I've had it before. I've had a baby before. But in that moment, I looked at my husband and I said, I've got a bad feeling about this. And he's like, you know, my husband's a PhD economist from University of Chicago, a former Air Force pilot. He's very data and linear driven. And he's like, honey, we don't have all the information. So... Of course, Dr. Google goes home and starts looking through what a placenta previa is. Turns out a placenta previa could turn into an accreta, which is what Kim Kardashian had, where the placenta and the uterus merge together. If that happens, it causes some bleeding. If that happens, potentially you could need a hysterectomy. And if that happens, you and the baby could lose your life. Wow. And I sat back and I looked at my husband. I said, this is going to happen to us. The only difference is the baby's going to survive. <gasps> but you didn't think you were going to survive? I did not. Why? So, was it just a gut instinctual feeling? It was. It, it was, you know, what I call it is a knowing. You just, you don't know how you know, you just do. So right. it was, it hit me viscerally. I felt it. Um, and again, I'm 20 weeks pregnant. So I was a former TV producer. I produced a lot of reality shows. I ran a company for Endemol. I'm not a neurotic histrionic person. I, you know, work really extremely well under pressure. Shout out to Endemol. I love Endemol. Yeah. (laughs) So we, you know, through this process, I look at my husband and I'm like, you know, this is going to happen. And he's like, honey, you know, you're, it doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, I'm telling you. So, so he wasn't listening. So then I told everybody, every doctor, every nurse, I said, my placenta previous is going to turn into a creta. I'm going to need a hysterectomy. You're going to need a lot of blood. Um, I'm going to hemorrhage. You're going to be cutting me from sternum pelvis, my sternum to pelvis. I said, um, you're going to need to put me under general anesthesia and I'm going to be dead on the operating table. And I said it to everyone. I even met with a specialist at one point, a gynecological oncologist, because they deal with high-risk reproductive organ surgeries. Mm-hmm. And I am sitting in the waiting room, and I got an appointment with him, and I don't have a diagnosis of an accreta. I don't have anything that would indicate that this is going to happen. The only test that I have is a placenta previa, and nobody is concerned about it. But I'm having this reaction ahead of time. It's almost like you're being buried alive and you're just waiting for the last bits of dirt to cover your face to take those deep breaths. So I knew I was a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. And what a thing to live through. Oh, it was, it was three months of this day, night. It was, I couldn't sleep. I had a two-year-old to also take care of. I was trying to explain to my husband who, you know, is the love of my life. And I'm like, "I, I, I need you to understand that this is going to happen. And you know, in his defense and the doctor's defenses, they were like, this is, you know, the data is not showing this. So nobody was worried about this. So we go to this gynonc's office and women are suffering from cancer and they are, they have no hair and they have IVs in their arm in the waiting room. He's like, I am embarrassed to be here. And I said, I don't know what to tell you. Everybody's telling me, you know, they see an open road and all I see is an 18 Miller headed straight for me. Mm-hmm. So maybe this doctor has heard something 
And maybe he's had a patient before that has had this kind of foreboding and maybe he can give me some sort of diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So I get into the consultation with him and his resident and she's taking notes and the doctor's like, Ms. Arnold, how can we help you? And I said, I see you. You see me. My husband likes to say I was very mafia-like. It was like, I see you. You see me. Um, you're my doctor. And um, my placenta previous going to turn into a credit. You need to schedule yourself at the time of my C-section. And he sits back and he says, Mrs. Arnold, um, have you been on the internet? <laughs> yeah. And I said, um, yes, I have, doctor. But this is going to happen. And so... Um, they did an MRI to see if there was an accreta. The MRI was negative for an accreta. And then ultimately my husband's like, you should feel better. I said, I feel worse because I'm running out of people to tell this crazy story to. Ultimately, my doctor had said, why don't you have a consultation with anesthesia? I had a meeting with a phone call with anesthesia. Her name was Dr. Grace Lim. And she says, you know, explains to me where I'm going to recover. And I try again, what happens in the event this happens? She said, you know, she said, you're in a teaching hospital, you are in safe hands and we're prepared for every emergency. And I said, it is what it is. Cause that was my last consultation that I could have. I mean, if you were walking with me and you saw me like going into Starbucks, I mean, I had this one point where this woman in Starbucks said, you know, how's the pregnancy going? I said, I'm going to die. No, everybody, my friends stayed away from me. Everybody stayed away from me. They were, they were very scared. I posted on Facebook, if anybody needs my blood type, I'm going to need a lot of blood. Oh I wrote God. goodbye letters. I sent out goodbye letters. I sent out to people oh saying how much I love them and this was going to happen in two months' time. I was going to ask, so, did you get like your financial affairs in order and like yeah, your no, will? My, my husband was handling this. I, I was not worried about any of that. What I was worried about is that this is my soulmate and I don't want this love to end because I die and because he can't see that love continues after we leave and that this is not the end of the road. And so because his mind doesn't work that way, I had to convince him and also produce the life-saving measures to protect me because he doesn't think that way. So wait, um, let's take a pause real quick. All right, guys, we just got to take a quick break for one of our very cool new sponsors. It's Coors. Coors has this new beer. It's called Coors Pure, and it's all organic. It has zero sugar, so you can enjoy this beer without feeling guilty. It's um, it's a real it's nice. So way. It's so good. It's so good. At the end of the day, you know how you're like, you know, I could really use a drink, but at the same time, like I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want I don't want the crap that comes along with so many beers. You don't have to feel that way with Coors Pure. I think the hardest part for me in like my health health journey in the last year of like, mm-hmm. you know, trying to cut down and is really, and you guys know, I don't, you know, I'm not like the person that like needs a drink every day, but like yeah. after a long day, it's just like nice to have one. It's like this treat and it's been really hard because obviously I don't want to like pack on the pounds, like doing that every day. So with this new Coors Pure, it Again, like Ashley said, it's 92 calories and it tastes so good that it's just a perfect beer to celebrate like the wins of everyday life at the end of your I day. I love their it's really ref- I love their tagline, Coors Pure. It's organic, but chill about it. You know, it's like not like in your face organic. You're still cool Coors <laughs> drinker. It's it's organic, but not in your face. You know what I mean? That's what I love about it. <laughs> totally. It's made with organic barley, organic hops, and water. 
And we want you guys to join the Coors fandom with us. So go to CoorsPure.com to see where you can find Coors Pure. And like Lauren said, the tagline's great. Organic, but chill about it. (laughs) Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Albany, Georgia. You, I'm sure these doctors were referring you to psychiatrists. No, everyone, you know, they, they... All the interesting thing is a lot of them knew me and that, that when I lecture at medical institutions and universities, I am quick to say the one thing the doctors were missing was that this was not normal behavior for their patient, right? right. This, they should have been using their intuition to say something else is going on. And that was the problem that I had. Okay. Um, Did you ever that, reach out to, um, spiritual people like mediums or psychics or yeah so so i'm jewish and so my rabbi you know was like you need to think positively you know god helps those who help themselves i'm like this doesn't help me rabbi i'm like i'm helping myself i'm yelling at everybody to help me Mm -hmm. and and i'm praying but um but this is i'm living in this linear world right now and I have a time expiration date. And the expiration date is the date I go in to deliver this baby. And nobody is understanding that. They're just like, okay, pray. Okay, maybe you're stressed. Maybe, maybe you're hormonal. And I'm like, oh, you want to see hormonal? You just wait. Wait till I come out of this. And then you're going to see really hormonal. So, so we go, um, the day that I go in to give birth, my husband is out of town. Um, and... Yeah, he was on a business trip. And so, you know, I know that I'm delivering that day and we're getting triaged. I'm in the hospital and I'm Skype chatting him. And I said, um, and he's like, will I make it? I said, you know, they say that I'm really stressed. So the ORs are very quiet. So they're going to take Jacob, our baby. And so my two-year-old is there with our nanny and um, and that maternal instinct is coming in. So I don't want her to see me crying because I'm convinced this is the last time I'm going to see her. So I want to be strong. I'm also texting my husband saying, you've made me the happiest woman in the world. And whatever happens, please know that this is not our son's fault. You you said that your husband didn't believe in an afterlife. He just like, does he just think that when you're dead, you're dead? Yes. Okay. And then you were, you being religious, what did you think happened? Well, it's, um, I believe that the soul goes on. I believe that we, you know, life doesn't end because we physically do, but I've experienced a couple of things as a kid, intuitive moments where it was a life and death experience where I saw death, the person was healthy and then they died. And when that happens, when kid, you think you're willing it to happen. So you shut it down. Then you go asystolic, which means no electricity running through your body. And then you get plugged back in. And when you're plugged back in, you're on high voltage. And so now I see things and now I experience things at a whole other level. And I don't, I don't deny it now. Now it's more with conviction. Okay. Let's get to that after the initial story. Okay. So you're saying goodbye to your daughter. Yes. And then what? I'm, I'm Skype chatting Jonathan, and I'm telling him all this. He's still not getting it. He's like, where do I meet you? I'm like, eighth floor recovery, hopefully. Um, And I shut down the computer. I hugged my daughter. And they're wheeling the gurney down to the operating room. And I try one more time to my doctor, who's a friend. I said, Julie, there's something wrong. You need to put me under general anesthesia. She's like, Stephanie, I'm not going to do that. If I do that, I'm going to put the baby to sleep. And it's really dangerous. 
And that's it. I'm being wheeled into the room that's going to give life to my son and take mine. So as I'm being wheeled in, you know, if you're having this kind of foreboding and you're having an elective surgery, you're thinking, okay, maybe I'll change the date. You know, anesthesiologists be like, okay, if you're thinking that you're going to die, let's just stop the surgery and everything. But I was having this baby no matter what. So I couldn't get out of it. So imagine being trapped in your body. You, you can't go anywhere. Baby's coming out. You're having a C-section. So, which means they're putting a curtain in front of your face. Your arms are in a T. They have IVs running in your arm. It gets cold. Um, they deliver a healthy, happy baby. And then seconds later, I'm dead. Wow. So, so then what happened? Ex- explain. I can't imagine the doctor what? being like, she was right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. So wow. um, I ended up having a very rare pregnancy complication called an amniotic fluid embolism. It's where amniotic cells get into the mother's bloodstream. And if you happen to be allergic to it, oh. your body goes into anaphylactic shock. And in most cases, you don't make it. It's a one in 40,000 risk. I've never heard of that. Yeah, you shouldn't. If you've heard of it, then you know someone who's died. Wait, because is this reality- from the amnesthesia? No. No. It is um it is it is unpredictable, it is unpreventable, and it's usually fatal. So it's, it's where amniotic cells, like tissue, hair follicles from the baby, any kind of fluid from the baby goes into your system and you have a, an anaphylactic shock to that reaction. Um so amniotic cells get into your mother's bloodstream all the time. So this isn't usually a problem. So it's just, again, a one in 40,000 risk. Northwestern, which is where I delivered, was a teaching hospital, delivers 12,000 babies a year. At the time, they were around 30 years. No one on my case had ever seen one. They've only seen it in textbooks or read about it in textbooks. There have been 10 in the history because they, again, one in in 40,000, so 12,000 babies a year, they there were 10 in their entire history. Six did not make it, and the other three are in permanent vegetative states. No. The so what brought you back? Yeah. Yeah, okay, no, no, no. So let's explain oh. the death and yeah. how that Wait, felt. So, but yeah. the only reason I was resuscitated, so I had flatlined for 37 seconds, and I was brought back to life because there were life-saving measures that I did not predict that were in the operating room at the time. So there was a crash cart and there was extra blood. You need the crash cart to resuscitate the patient. And then that's the first part of an AFE and amniotic fluid embolism. The second part is your body goes into DIC, which is your body's inability to clot blood. Your normal blood is, has about 20, your body has about 20 units of blood. And I was given about 60 units of blood and blood product, three times my blood supply of O negative blood. So I'm a very rare blood type. And those measures were put in because the anesthesiologist I had my very last consultation said she was uncomfortable with the way I spoke. I'd had a baby before. I had had a C-section. I spoke incredibly clearly about what was going to happen and had sought out specialists to save my life. And with that one call, she flagged my file and incorporated those life-saving measures in the office. Oh my God. Yay, anesthesiologist. Our our dad's an anesthesiologist. (laughs) That's incredible. And thank God it was a woman that like knew, you know, like what that's like even. Yeah. So, you know, she's, she's Asian, she's spiritual and, um, well, if your dad's an anesthesiologist, he definitely knows our case because we were the um, 
campaign for uh, Mothers of May for One Seconds Count. So oh. you guys have the American Society of Anesthesiologists do a complete campaign about One Seconds Count, about how physician anesthesiologists save lives. Wow. And, um, <clears throat> their billboard campaign at one point. That's huge. Um, yeah. Um, so I get resuscitated. I get put into a medically induced coma. And that is when my husband arrives and he calls the doctor and he's like, how's everything? And she's like, you know, Jacob's fine. Stephanie's stable. And my husband's smart enough to know that that's not good. So the anesthesiologist comes out and explains, um, I, you know, she's had an amniotic fluid embolism. Don't look it up, which of course is like the worst mm-hmm. thing to say somebody. Um, but he was a pilot. So pilots and anesthesiologists think very similarly as, as you probably know. And so he was like, what's morbidity, mortality, what is the next phase? What are the hours? What, what are we looking at? Um, and she explained, you know, it's, it's not great. Um, it's, it's very grim. The outcome is very grim. We haven't had a survivor without a severe neurological deficit ever. Um, and he said, if she needs a hysterectomy, this is the doctor we met with two months before. And she was startled by that because this is a different anesthesiologist. And she's like, why would you have a doctor to recommend for a hysterectomy? She's like, well, you know, we went here and Stephanie had seen this coming. And so uh, she took note of it. She's like, I don't know whether she'll survive another surgery, but I think we've stabilized the bleed. So he goes to the SICU and, you know, he's watching me on life support. And he says, about seven hours later, the bells and whistles go off and it turns out that I'm still hemorrhaging. And they call in the gyna to perform the hysterectomy. They do the hysterectomy and the pathology on the uterus shows that an accreta had started to form, but the MRI didn't pick it up. No way. Oh my God. MRI didn't pick it up. You knew. This This is wild. This is wild. Well, if you guys are suffering from having extreme anxiety or just have questions that you want answered, there is a place that you can go and it's called BetterHelp. You guys have heard us talk about this at nauseam and we are so obsessed that we don't want to stop talking about it because BetterHelp has helped so many people around the world. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. If this is your first time hearing about it, it's basically a service where you can get therapy. They're committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it super easy and free to change counselors if needed. Um, I've gone to it and it's super convenient, especially in the pandemic, which I mainly, you know, spent alone in isolation. Um, So if you are suffering from depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, if you can't sleep, if you have anger problems, grief, self-esteem, anything you share is confidential. And yeah, I just can't get enough of BetterHelp and I couldn't recommend it enough to people in need of therapy. What I love about it is that you could start communicating with a therapist in under 24 hours. So if you're like having a moment and you like can't wait to get into the office somewhere, uh, you, you know, you're calling around and it's just like, oh, no, we, we can't see you for two weeks with better help you can see someone within 24 hours. It's, that's really, really nice. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So if you guys want to start living a healthier, happier life today, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash get it. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash get it. Those 37 seconds... What happened 
in those 37 seconds? They gave me a lot of drugs. So, um, no. So, so what happened was is in coming, so I didn't remember any of it. And when you watch the Netflix series, they skip all of this part, but, but I'll tell you what happened. So, oh, yay, we get extra footage. (laughs) So exclusive. Right. So they cut all this part out because they didn't, you know, I, I don't even know why, but, but it's fine. So we, so I was, in this coma for six days, I come out of it. My kidneys had failed. So I was on dialysis. And so I was still swollen and, you know, I, it was severely edemic. And, um, and then my, you know, they, they take me down off of the meds and they extubate me and, you know, they don't know what's going on. So they have to see about my brain. And the first thing I see is my swollen belly. I'm like, am I still fucking pregnant? And my husband was like, She's going to be okay. That's a good sign. <laughs> That's, a good sign. Yeah. That's crazy. But so in the healing part of everything, it was hard because I, here I am in front of all of these doctors who know more than me about medicine and I'm in a teaching hospital. So all their residents, everybody are in every department because every department had their hand on me and in me and everything. And so they were like, how did you know? I said, I don't know. You tell me. And they're like, well, you know, all of this can happen, foreboding can happen before a heart attack or an embolus, but three months before in the detail you had, no, I don't, I don't buy that. And so I've been on this quest. So, so you do psychotherapy, you try and, you know, help your, I did have some deficit. I was on outpatient dialysis. I was in a wheelchair. There were, there were lots of things in the recovery. And then, um, and then I went to this, the, a friend of mine was like, is the therapy helping? I'm like, no, because nobody can help me with these premonitions and I continue to get them. So what happens mm. if I think that I'm going to have a heart attack? Am I going to spontaneously combust? I need somebody to actually help me tether myself to the ground. Um, so I find a regression therapist and um, regression uses hypnotherapy to take you back into the moments of trauma. So what she says is that, you know, your brain stores traumatic events. And when you access them through hypnotherapy, it's like a film strip playing in front of you and you're an observer in your own thing, but it's not as, not as uncomfortable as it was before. Okay, fine. So I don't know how much I believe in it. I've never been hypnotized before. Call it my type A personality and the producer in me, but I videotape everything. So I'm like- Very smart. Well, yeah, but also, also, what if she tells me to quack like a chicken or something? Like whenever, you know, like I have no idea. I don't want anyone playing with my brain. So I record it. And then finally, after many hours of sessions, she got me back into the OR. And when I was in the OR, I could see who hit the button for the code, which nurse jumped on my chest to do CPR, where my doctors were standing, what was going on down the hall that the first crash cart actually didn't work, but there was a second crash cart brought in. There were, um, there were things that were going on down the hall in the labor and delivery room, what my daughter was doing in the labor and delivery room down that way, what my husband was wearing off the plane. Um, it just kind of opened up. And then I saw spirits. I saw spirits everywhere. It wasn't, it was people that I knew and people that I didn't know. And the people that I didn't know had messages for the people that I didn't know. And I'm like, okay, I'm obviously hallucinating all of this. Right. And I'm like going through all, yeah. The people that you didn't know had messages for people. So spirit guides, essentially. No, they were related to 
my, and like my best friend lost her little brother when he was seven. So there was a little boy in the corner talking to me about, and it was, it was a telepathic conversation. It wasn't, it wasn't like I could hear audio, but I heard the message clearly, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, I saw my husband's father who had passed away in 1998. And there was a message that he had about a coin, which I write about in my book. Um, and so there are all these things that kind of unravel and I get out of this session and I feel better. And I said to my husband, I feel like a weight has been lifted off my chest. So he takes a look at this, this therapy, which is not easy to watch. He watched it for like one second. It's quite graphic Hmm. because you actually see how my body's convulsing and seizing and then gasping for air. And then you see me flatline. Like you actually see my body collapse the chair. And he's like, how do you know that this isn't a recalled episode of Grey's Anatomy in your head? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. He wasn't my best friend at that moment. <laughs> so this is, this said, is crazy. It's like, it's like, cause, cause your dad was wasn't an, in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> his dad. Yeah. Really? It's also just such an isolated experience for you where like your best friend and partner in life and like everyone around you isn't believing. Like I can't imagine going through this and like having to also convince people in your life that it's real and and then you obviously second guessing yourself throughout the whole thing too I'm sure like am I crazy like because no one's taking it it's like that is mentally like I didn't mean to like interject and obviously you have so much more to share with us but I think just hearing what you've been through in those three months I'm just like wow the human spirit is so resilient the fact that you live through this like alone resilient or or a lunatic because you're like okay you have nothing to lose except for your life So I I tell people all the time, I'm like, you will never regret speaking up and being wrong. You know, people judge you. People judge me, thought I was crazy. They judge your Instagram profile. It doesn't make a difference, but you will regret not speaking up and being dead right. Mm -hmm. So interesting there, you know, and I'm sure as your dad is an anesthesiologist, I mean, hearing these kind of stories, I'm, I am a hundred percent sure that he has heard people say, I feel like I'm going to die. Everything stops. Everything stops. I'm sure if you ask him, he'll be like, everything stops in that moment to reassess the situation because they know so many things about all different types of uh, procedures and they're in charge of keeping that that person alive. So that is... that is the doctor who listens. The other one, at least in my opinion, what happened on my case, that was the doctor who listened. Um, this story weaves in and out and gets, gets crazier at times. But at the end of the day, um, I go to back to the therapist and I said, how do you know what I'm telling you is true? And she says, sometimes the only validation we get is the patient feels better. And I said, that's not good enough for me. I have witnesses. And luckily I have it on tape. I don't have to give it, I said this, look at for their reactions and say, okay, wasn't it this or wasn't that, right? So I go, and Jonathan's like, now I'm going with you to watch the doctors, watch the tapes, and I want to hear everything, right? So the first doctor, Grace, my the one anesthesiologist flagged my file, she's like, you know, it, was, um, it wasn't like a regular embolus. Your reaction was more like a seizing and gagging, and then you collapse. And I played back the tape. I said, did it look anything like this? And she said, it exactly like that. Oh my gosh. Then I go to my OB. I said, I said, you were down by my feet. And I said, did you say this can't be happening? This can't be happening. And she said, I did, but under my breath, Stephanie, you couldn't have heard me. Oh my God. And then I said, 
And then I said, did the first crash cart work, but the, second, or the first crash cart not work and right. the second crash cart did? And the anesthesiologist was like, you know, I think I would have remembered that. I don't remember that, but let me check on it. And she went back and she's like, yeah, there was a second crash cart brought in. Wow. No way. And then this other nurse, when I was in, in the hospital to say thanks, like it was nine months later or something, I wanted to thank everybody for saving my life. This one nurse who's a manager, she's like, Mrs. Arnold, you probably don't remember me. I said, you're the one that broke my ribs. And she said, she said, and I would do it again to save your life. Wow. Oh my God. And so she went back to her room and she, her office and she cried. Then the kicker was for Jonathan. I said, Julie didn't deliver the baby. And he is like, what are you talking about? Dean, she had blood all over her scrubs. I said, oh, I know she was there. I said, but she didn't deliver the baby. He's like, oh honey, what, what are you talking about? What do you, I said, the gynoc resident who was taking notes, who rolled her eyes at me, who stopped writing notes after she thought I was fucking crazy. I said, that's who delivered the baby. No. He way. said, why would she have done that? She was on gynoc rotation. Why would she be there? I said, I would tell you. He's like, well, how do you know that? I said, I saw it in my regression therapy. He's like, okay, honey. Right. And so I was like, so we go to, to Dr. Levitt, Julie, my doc, my OB. I said, did you deliver the baby? And she said, no. I said, she had never told you this beforehand. Yeah. How weird. So she, she's like, no, I didn't. I said, um, so Jonathan's sitting there intensely because now he's getting uncomfortable. Right. So I said, I said, um, Dr. Levitt, I said, did Dr. Shield Park deliver the baby? And she looks at me and she said, how do you know that? Oh my God. She said, we're in a teaching hospital. And when we spot residents in the back hallways, before we do a procedure, we always offer the residents an opportunity to sit in on the procedure or actually perform the procedure. So I saw her back there about 10, 15 minutes before your procedure and asked her if she wanted to scrub in. So yes, Dr. Hill Park delivered the baby. So I'm sure people listening probably think like the resident caused all of this to happen to you, but it was really nothing that she did. No, you know, we don't know the cause of an AFE. There have been, you know, many cases where an amniocentesis will cause it or a natural childbirth or an at-home birth, which is the worst because if you if you don't have access to a blood bank, you're not going to survive this. Um, and it happens in seconds. So it's not, mm-hmm. um, it's not survivable in that respect. But no, there's, there are many, um, there are many theories, but we don't have a reason Yet. Gum is something people chew as a way to relieve stress, curb appetites, and most importantly, freshen breath. But many people didn't realize that gum can also be an integral part of healthy oral care routine. And as I learned when I was in a special class in elementary school, that gum also helps you concentrate. So with Quip, you can concentrate and also get healthy gums and teeth and good breath. Mm-hmm. Um, and we love Quip's gum because it can help prevent cavities, fresh in breath. All you got to do is chew it for 20 minutes after eating. It's sugar-free. It has tooth. Fr- it has this tooth-friendly substance in it with zero calories, and it satisfies your taste buds. It has a long-lasting mint flavor. It's that crunchy tri-layer layer design. You know, oh, you I know love what I'm the crunchy about, layer. Kind of That's the only gum I oh, need. Yeah. So good. <laughs> And over 5 million mouths are already using Quip. So get chewing for less than two 
less than $2, guys, per gum pack. And if you go to getquip.com slash get it right now, like literally the second, like as you're listening to this, you can get a free plastic dispenser with any refill plan. That is a free dispenser at getquip.com slash get it, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash get it. You can also find the Quip electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and more in the oral care aisle at your local Walmart, Quip the Good Habits Company. After going through regression therapy, and I'm sure, how many years ago did this happen? Um, the whole thing happened between 2013. Well, the event happened in 2013. Yeah. Okay. So from 2013 to 2021, I'm sure you have spoken to many people, done a lot of research, read a lot of things about near-death experiences, the afterlife. So I'd love to know what you know, I'm not going to say what your thoughts are, what you know about the afterlife and spirits and, and what you believe. I would love to know. Yeah, it's a great question you're asking because I'm, I'm speaking at the National um, International Association for Near-Death Studies this evening. And um, congrats, okay, that's so thank, cool. You know, it, they just asked me to speak tonight and I said, and they said, you know, I said, it's taken this long for me to speak with conviction about what I believe because I can't deny what I've been through and I can't deny what I experienced, but when I continue to experience it and I continue to see what I see, um, I don't consider myself a medium because I think that that's, it gets a bad rap, even though people have amazing gifts out there, but I don't believe that's my calling in life. I believe my calling is to, to be somewhat agnostic towards all of it and, and help be the bridge of the gap of care between patients and, and doctors to actually mm-hmm. let them know that the sixth sense exists, this knowing exists, and it can help save their lives on both ends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what I believe with conviction is that life does not end when we do. I believe that the things that I can see and continue to see, um, I wouldn't be able to see it unless it does. Um, I was crazy, crazy, crazy story. Um I don't know if any of you uh, know Gail Berman. Do you know who Gail is in LA? Okay, well, she's a, a big Hollywood producer. She's president of the Producers Guild, and she was head of Fox Television Studio. She brought 24 Bones, American Idol, to the network. Oh, we love her. And um, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> she, um, so I had a pitch meeting. So my book, 37 Seconds, comes out. They like it, and they said, you know, we want to talk to you about creating a scripted series around the book. And so I go out there, it's the first time I'm meeting her and their entire team. And, you know, I'm sitting in the meeting and a friend of mine brings me in and, you know, in the middle of the meeting, again, so Gail says to me, you know, Stephanie, um, it's not that I don't believe in intuition. It's just, you know, I'm a skeptical person. I said, I'm not here to prove anything to you. I'm just here to talk to you about ideas and pitches and, you know, whatever. So in the middle of the meeting, I start feeling like I'm going to have a heart attack, but I know it's not mine. Oh my God. She's going to have a heart attack. No. So I am feeling this heart attack and I have two choices. Now my, my MO, since I wrote my first book is if you sense something, say something, Mm -hmm. right. You know, so I'm like, do I say something? No, I'm going to blow this pitch if I say something. What the hell am I going to say? No, let, just let it go. But I can't let it go because it's getting tighter and I can't breathe. So I'm like, I'm sorry, Gail. Apparently I said this. I don't remember I said this, but 10 people said I said this, so I must have said it. Um, there's a woman standing next to you 
I, I believe it's a ghost. Oh, no, I, be- not, I believe it's your mother. And she's screaming at you about a dress. And she's trying to get your attention. And she's like, no, my mother's fine. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, um, I'm sorry. This has never happened before. Somebody in here has a male family member who just had a heart attack. Who in here ju- has a male family member who just had a heart attack? No, 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 no. Like all them, Gail says, you don't think I'm going to have a heart attack? I'm like, no. But as she's talking, it's getting tighter. So I know it's coming from her end. Okay, Stephanie, really nice to meet you. Here's your valet ticket. Don't let the door hit you on the way out, right? So I'm leaving and... Wait, really? They just like, you just left after that? No, well, what are you going to do? Like this, I'm a crazy person sitting in the room. It's like, I must be a crazy lunatic that they (laughs) thought was quite normal, had a great book, you know, (laughs) they want to buy the rights to it. And now I'm talking ghosts, like what the... You know, whatever. Oh, so, you would have gotten me wrapped around my finger. Oh my Lauren no. and I would have been all in. We'd be like, oh my God, yeah. what? Tell us more. No, so so I walk out to the front door and my girlfriend who introduces me, to, what's with the theatrics, Stephanie? I said, I don't know what to tell you. I've never felt this way before. I know I blew the pitch, but I don't, you know, and I'm like freaking out. So just, I'm like, I have to go back. She's like, no. I turn <laughs> around and I go back to Gail's office, right? And I'm like, knocking on her, please, can you do me a favor? I know I blew this pitch, but can you please check in with your family? This is not about the pitch now. Can you just call your family? Okay, Stephanie, bye. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I leave. I leave. No. So it's over. It's done. Whatever. Four days later, I get a call from um, her CEO of her company, Joe. And Joe says, are you sitting down? Now, my friend is also on the phone call. She's like, you're not going to believe this. And I was like, okay. She says, well, um, so Gail lied to you. Her mother had been had passed six years ago, and she knew exactly the dress you were talking about, but she didn't want, didn't know you had psychic abilities, so she just kind of like brushed it off. But that's not the kicker of the whole thing. The kicker she is said my mom's fine. That's a, because she was like, I didn't know, you know, she wasn't going to give anything, yeah. right? The, and when you don't believe, you don't believe, right? And you just there's a wall, and that's. Mm-hmm. There's no breaking down that wall. And I think it's very fear-based. I think most of Mm -hmm. the people that don't want to acknowledge either chalk it up to a coincidence, you know, use statistics, say it's an outlier, science hasn't caught up to it yet, or they're just afraid. So we get to that point. um, And then he says, so Gail comes back from lunch and her sister called her from New York. Her father had a heart attack at the moment you were feeling it. Oh, what? That's insane. Oh, and you said a male. You said a father figure. No, I said a male. I said male. Um, uh, I yeah, no, I said a male family member. Yeah. And I was like, and so I didn't remember half of the things I said, but Joe and my friend were like, no, that's exactly what you said. I said, no, I couldn't have said that. They're like, no, that's exactly what you said. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. And so they said, okay, so her father's going to be okay. She don't ever want to talk about it again. And we're buying your rights. Huh. Huh. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Amazing. Wow. Good. That's good. So good. Insane. So, okay. It's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. 
Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Aside from, I know you said now that you can speak with conviction and you know that life does go on after this. Is there anything else you can share with us um, as far as like things you know about the afterlife? Well, what, what I know, well, so there's, there, there are interesting things. People who have committed suicide, when people come to me and they're like, you know, do you feel the presence around me? I said, for whatever reason, I never see that soul. And intuitively I, I let them know. I said, I said, I don't believe it's my first sight to see. I said, I believe it's yours and you have to come with forgiveness and you have to figure out how to not be angry before that soul will appear. But it's not my first, it's not my, my honor to have that first experience with that person who's passed. So that, that's just me. I don't know. You know, there, there are mediums that have fine tuned their craft and are able to pierce the veil in that respect. I just, it's not my experience. Um, but the, yeah, with conviction, there's no question that when we physically die, we don't die. We just transform from a solid to a gas. So when did you convince your husband of this? (laughs) When was the moment? Well, you'll have to watch the Netflix series because when ultimately, ultimately I had, um, like even after the Gale thing, I came home and I said, you know, what are the odds that I would guess a heart attack, you know, and like, it's gotta be one in a million or whatever. And he's like, he's like, well, 10 people in a room, 2 million heart attacks a year. It's one in three. Oh my God. That's so annoying. Um, you said that he's, he's Jewish, right? Are you yes. Jewish as well? Yeah. So is it, is that true? Like in, in Jewish faith that there's not an afterlife? Cause no, our grandma, our Bubby, it believes the same thing. She's yeah. like, Oh, nothing happens. It's not true. The, the oh. interesting thing is I called my rabbi and I said, you know, I'm writing this book, right? So before it comes out, I want to know, I mean, I'm going to write my truth either way, but I just want to know what Judaism talks yeah. about when it comes to this. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Stephanie, he's like, do you know why on Yom Kippur that we ask the community who's not in mourning to leave the room during Kaddish? And I said, out of respect, you know, like these are the people that are mourning this year for the loss of their parents or loss of sibling or something like that. So he's like, no, that's not the reason. The reason is, is that we're calling in the souls of the ones who've just passed. Mm -hmm. And so the vibration of what you're feeling in that room are these spirits. And I said, well, I wasn't taught that in parochial school. Like, you know, where I think I would have, you know, remembered that lesson. Um, 
you know, so no, it's not, you know, we absolutely believe in the afterlife. Okay. I think that, you know, even with the Rebbe, you know, they pray at his grave. So what are they praying to or who right. are they praying to if they, you know, if they don't believe the spirit lives on? I think they're everybody's in that respect is waiting for Mashiach or waiting for the Messiah, but um, but they still feel energy around his his um, you know his spirit his his presence and the people mm-hmm. that are that are praying there. So no, you said oh. um, during the thirty seven seconds in your regression therapy, you re- you saw you know um, spirits and people who have passed that were like connected to you and they had messages for you. Um, I'm not sure if you'd be comfortable sharing those messages or, and if not, can you share maybe, was that a message that, did you receive a message that you needed to hear in that moment that sort of gave that whole thing purpose for you? Did it answer the why? Aside from obviously you connecting patients, you know, in the future and and already have. I mean, I, I, when, you know, people go through something so traumatic, I think the immediate question is like, why did this happen? I, I never have that question. I, I, you know, I'm grateful I survived and with the survival comes a responsibility. And I believe that I owe it to not just myself, but to those who haven't survived and to those who are about to go into it each week, mm-hmm. um, the voice to, to talk about, um, listening differently. Right. Um, and also to give comfort because it's, it's rare to, go someplace and then come back, right? It's rare to flatline and be resuscitated. I mean, my children still to this day, like don't fully understand it because my daughter brought home a dead bird the other day. Like, mommy, this bird died, but you can bring it back to life. And so it's a difficult concept, right? Like why did their grandfather die and stay dead Mm -hmm. and their mother came back? And so we are working through all of that, but the messages Mm -hmm. that I thought were particular for, and, and I wrote about them. So it's not, it's not so private. Um, they gave me permission to speak about. So, you know, I, I read a lot about like from psychology today that talks about ones who've gone through trauma, of course, their loved ones will be next to them. You want to have your loved ones. So that's not real, right? They talk about the brain. They talk about hypoxia. They talk about all of these things that happen and that you're, you're hallucinating. And I said, okay, mm-hmm. let's put a pin in that. Let's say I don't, I didn't see my relatives. It's the ones I didn't know that had the messages for the ones I do know that, that kind of make them scratch their heads. So the seven-year-old said to me, I missed the way my sister twirled my hair. And you know, this was before my time, before I knew her. And I called her up and I said, you know, does this mean anything to you? And she dropped the phone and she was, I hear her crying. And I said, but what happened? And she said, she said, she has a son who at that point was like six months old. And she said, you know, I always used to put my brother to bed by twirling his hair. Oh my God. Tissue time. (laughs) And she said, and every time I'm twirling my son's hair, he's looking out into the distance and he's smiling. And I feel like he is seeing my brother. And I, I I feel it, but then I'm thinking, no, this is not the real world. Um, But what you just told me made me realize that he's still around. And it was always a question of how he died because he was seven years old and he choked on his vomit while he was sleeping and a seven-year-old can sit up, you know? So the mother was a, was a stepmother of Rosalind and they never did an autopsy and it was always questionable. And she was like, I just, I just don't know what really happened. And he gave me the message of what happened. 
it turned out that he had a seizure. Mm. And because of the seizure in the middle of the night, you have no control over it. And I described to her his bed sheets. And so she, it just, for her, it was like, I guess a 30 year question of what happened right. and this, this whole morning and this whole loss of like, could she have done anything to save him? And could she have done anything to fight harder for him? And then thinking this whole time there was foul play and thinking this whole time mm-hmm. probably was scared and he needed her protection. And mm-hmm. so in an instant, because of those messages, it lifted away the guilt and it lifted away the fact that he is still with her, you know, like, so that it's not, uh, it's not a question into knowing. Wow. Because your, um, your visual of it didn't happen until therapy. What did you, how did you feel the calming, peaceful light that people describe? So my near-death experience wasn't like what everybody else describes. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was not comfortable for me. And Mm -hmm. I think it was probably because I had three months to prepare for it. And it was very scary. I, um, it wasn't that the actual death moment, death moment was peaceful. That is not, it's not scary. I mean, I, I did a clubhouse room last night with, with, so many people that just are afraid to die and wanted to hear stories of people and their experiences. And, you know, for them, it was very comforting hearing that, you know, it's a very peaceful moment. Some people wanted to go back there. And I always question like what their life is like on this plane before they go to the next dimension. Right. Um, For me, I didn't want to leave my soulmate and I didn't want to leave my family and I fought, I fought hard. So it was not comfortable. And I think because I was tethered to both worlds and I, it was a 37 second split with, even though as a short time span, um, there's no time and space in this other dimension. So there's a lot of download, a lot of information, Um, you know, being brought back happened in a blip from, from this time frame. So I think that I was scared both prior to it happening and then wanting to get pulled back because I saw what was happening on my therapy. I turned around and I saw my entire belly being sliced open and everything. Oh. You know, you know. So it was like, it was like, I need to go back. I need to yell at them to go do this or do that. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, do you have a fear of dying currently or of getting a premonition of dying again? No, um, I don't have fears of either. What I do know, and and this might help your audience, is that I know the difference between a premonition and a casual thought. And I know we're all living in a pandemic where, you know, people are very anxious and very neurotic about an invisible killer, right? And so what I talk about with a with the difference between a premonition and a casual thought is a premonition is something that's incessant. It makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. If you are on a, let's give an example. If you're on a plane and the plane's about to take off and you think, oh, planes crash, planes crash. This plane could crash. We're going to crash. That is a fleeting moment. And it is something that can be let go very, very quickly. Um, If you have several weeks leading up to your flight, Right. I shouldn't be taking this yeah. flight. I don't know what it yeah. is. Maybe it's not because the plane's going to crash, but maybe you are needed where you're supposed to be. I would change the flight. Mm. Follow your intuition. Great advice. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. 
Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. I can't imagine why people would be uncomfortable like the woman in the pitch meeting was. I feel like these these are the most comforting stories that give you so much hope. I don't know why anybody would be scared. Yeah, no, they but because it's the it's the fear of the unknown. And if yeah. it hasn't happened to you, then you're like, okay. And and look, these things happen, but it it was it was a powerful moment. I, I always say like my gift really isn't the ability to see. My gift is the ability to not have a filter and speak when it happens because I think that that is more impactful for somebody like Gail or somebody I've had these experiences before with a bunch of skeptical doctors and scientists and they're like, how did you know that? And I'm like, yeah. like but if I don't say it in that moment, then they can be like, oh, well, you research this or you do that. So I don't hesitate now. Um, and so when asking about convictions, it's like, I'm much more inclined. Like if you think about those moments, whether it comes from a relationship or a business decision, mm-hmm. or even your health, your intuition told you one thing and you decided, no, I still want to go out with that guy. And you knew you shouldn't have gone out with that guy. And then the relationship implodes. And then you're like, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Right. But, but you do it anyway. So you, it just, it resonates in your body somewhere. And the mm-hmm. same thing happens for your health. And the more that you, you tune into it, the more you can be like, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. I know I'm not supposed to do it. I know this is going to implode. I know that it's great, fantastic. I'm willing to take that risk, but I would not take that risk when it comes to a life and death matter. Mm, that was perfect. Wow. That ended Thank our audience. So much our audience for totally us. took that dating advice and intuition <laughs> to heart. I know it. <laughs> You're the All best, right. Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining Thanks us so and being Thank open you and so much Thank and helping you. people every day. You you are truly not all heroes wear capes and you're an angel on earth. Thank you. Well, now that you heard the story for the first time and you didn't see it on Netflix, was it, was it what Ashley had promoted it to be? Uh, I had probably way I, better, dude. Yeah. I so tried to better. play it down. I gave yeah. them very few details because I wanted I'm, them to hear it. Yeah. yeah. But I totally believe in all this stuff. So it wasn't like, I was just like, yeah. Like everything you were saying, I was like, yeah, 100%. Because yeah. we had a medium on the podcast and um, my cousin who passed away came through. Mm-hmm. And before then, I had never really thought about afterlife in a real way. Um, I'm cat- I grew up Catholic, so I like, you know, knew there was a heaven. But anyways, I could go on and on. But everything you were saying, I was like, yeah, a thousand percent. I would, I, if you told me in those three months, I would have believed you and helped you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you would have been my only friend doing that. Yeah. It, it was like, 
positively, um, Stephanie. I'm like, okay, fine. Okay, so Steph, you talked about in the documentary about this moment before the birth that you saw a fountain full of blood. Like how terrifying was that? And were there any other terrifying (sighs) visuals? Yeah, so, you know, I was strolling my daughter in a park and it was a winter day and I was explaining to her that, you know, the fountain is so beautiful when it's flowing and in my mind's eye, that flow turned into blood. Um, And then I had a visceral reaction that my body was hemorrhaging. So I called my husband and I said, we need to go to the ER, I'm bleeding. And um, so we went to the ER, I get triaged and the doctor's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, obviously I'm hemorrhaging. And they're like, no, no, you're not, you're, you're fine. Everything's fine. Baby's fine. Everything. Maybe you need some rest. Right. And so Jonathan's like, okay, good. False, false alarm. I'm like, no, this is a warning. Mm -hmm. So it was, those kind of things were propelling it forward. I had visions of, you know, in the bakery and picking up ingredients that I was cooking that night. And then immediately I saw my funeral. I saw, you know, Jonathan and the kids at the dinner table and the mother's seat empty. I saw, you know, just moments, happy moments of life, but with my husband crying. Um, And, you know, my children saying, why are you crying? And, and so it was just, it was living with that sorrow at the same time, trying to save my life at the same time, trying to be happy for my children. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, it it was, it was a mixed bag. Yeah. And you mentioned that there were premonitions that, you know, you used to ignore as a kid Mm -hmm. and now you don't ignore them anymore. Do you have any examples yeah, I had, um, Jacob was two. So this is two years post, right? We were in a county fair and, you know, there's thousands of people in the fair and we go with another family and Jonathan's there, our three children. So my oldest is my stepdaughter and she was eight at the time. Adina was three or she was four and Jacob was two. And we're sitting at the picnic table and we're there with the other couple and their two children. And, um, I'm like, I'll, I'll go get the pizza. And as, I'm walking away with the mom who knows me. Um, I have a vision and she knows me well enough to say, what was that? And I was like, well, I had this vision that Jonathan was doing this fishing game with Valentina. Adina would be crawling on the grass. Nobody would pay attention to Jacob and he'd be gone. Now we turn around, they're all at the picnic table. And again, you know, county fair, right? You know how big they are and everything. Horror movie. Horror. (laughs) Horror, horror. So I say, okay, I'm, you know, whatever. So he says, or she says, well, why don't you go tell him? I said, the problem is we're coming out of this trauma. And if I go to him and tell him this, he's going to say, dad's parent different than mom's. Go get the fucking pizza, right? Well, he wouldn't curse. I'm the crass one. He's he's just more educated. So (laughs) I was like, all right, so I go get the pizza and it takes about 15 minutes. I come back there at the picnic table and I'm hundred feet away and I don't see Jacob and I'm 50 feet away and I don't see Jacob. And I scream, where's Jacob? And he's oh like, my oh my God. God. And we drop everything and we go in different directions. And the police officer stops. He's like, did you lose your son? I'm like, please tell me you have him. He's like, we do. He's over here. I'm like, thank God. So was he playing a fishing game? So I go to the police officer you know, I don't know how long he's been gone, but long enough that he's got juice and a cookie in his hand. So he comes back and, 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 you know, Jonathan's like, honey, I'm so sorry. I don't even know. I said, I said, I need, I need a moment with you. So I give our friends, the kids, I said, I just need to know one thing. I said, were you playing fishing game with Valentina while Adina was by your feet? 
And he looks at me and he's like, how do you know that? And I said, I'll be right back. I went away. I threw up. <laughs> oh I came God. back and I said, I don't know how, how long I have. I said, you can't even tell me how long he's been gone. You haven't even noticed it. I said, I don't know when I get these visions, like I have five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. I said, mm-hmm. but I need to insert myself into the narrative, especially if it's mm-hmm. my family. And he's like, okay, why don't we do this? Why don't, why don't we just look at your visions as gospel? And he's like, but don't take advantage of it. And I was like, you know, there's this diamond bracelet at the jewelry store. <laughs> That's what I would do. <laughs> and, you know, something really bad is going to happen. So <laughs> I'd be like, I saw you buying me this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So funny. So funny. Wow. All right. Well, this was like so amazing. So, yeah. so amazing. cool. This is, I love it. I find it fascinating. People can, of course, get more of your story from your book, which is called 27 seconds. And um, yeah, they can go to, if they go to stephaniearnold.net slash audiobook, they can download the free audiobook file. That's the prologue. Um, And if they have a library card, they can get the book for free at Hoopla Digital. Oh, I love that. I'm sure everyone here listening will do that. All right. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Thank you so, so much. So much fun and like really uplifting. Thank you. Really. Thanks for reaching out. This was fun. Yeah. And good luck at your talk tonight. Thank you. And by the way, we sold the screenplay. It's going to be a movie. Oh my God. It's going to be a movie. So amazing. That's huge. Invite us to the premiere. We'll have you back on and we'll discuss it to help you promote it. Yeah. Let's figure out. I have to find my actresses first and then they're they're casting now. So cool. There you go. So excited. Thank you so much. Bye, Stephanie. Bye. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. If you want to be the most interesting person at the cocktail party, well, hop on over and listen to the Brain Candy Podcast. Our award-winning content will have you laughing while you're learning. We read all the best articles, books, and studies, and keep up with new TV shows, documentaries, and pop culture. And then we cram it all into two shows a week. Conspiracy theories, cannibal rabbits, unsolved mysteries, the history of the Walkman. There's something for everyone. The Brain Candy Podcast. Find our link in the show notes. Or simply search for the Brain Candy Podcast on your podcast app.